It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world. It was time for him to go to the Father. Jesus loved his disciples who were in the world, so now he showed them how much he really loved them. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already tempted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. He had told Jesus to hand Jesus over to his enemies. Jesus knew the Father had put everything under his power. He also knew he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothes. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a large bowl. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet. He dried them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter. Lord, Peter said to him, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you can't share life with me. Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, wash my hands and my head too. Jesus answered, a person who had a bath needs to wash only his feet. The rest of his body is clean and you are clean, but not all of you are. Jesus knew who was going to hand him over to his enemies. That was why he said not everyone was clean. When Jesus finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, then he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, that is what I am. I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you also should wash one another's feet. I have given you an example. You should do as I have done for you. What I am about to tell you is true. A servant is not more important than his master, and a messenger not more important than the one who sends him. Now you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not talking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this will happen so that the scripture will come true. It says, the one who shares my bread has deserted me. I am telling you now before it happens. When it does happen, you will believe that I am he. What I'm about to tell you is true. Anyone who accepts someone I send accepts me, and anyone who accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Let me pray as we begin. Lord, as we open up your word this morning, open up our ears, O oh Lord, to hear your word and to know your voice. Speak to our hearts and strengthen our wills so that we may serve you today and for now and for the rest of this week and for the rest of our lives and for always. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, I want you to think about an example of someone that you know who's done something completely out of character. Uh, maybe a friend did something unexpected for you. Maybe a celebrity that was in the news for doing something dramatic and unexpected. Well, this morning, we're going to look at something that Jesus did, which to the people around him was completely out of character. But actually, what Jesus was doing was completely within his character. So we're in John's Gospel this morning, uh, one of the uh, biographies of Christ's life on earth. Um, and I want to look at two layers to this passage. One that I think is quite obvious, and then hopefully the second is a bit more under the surface. 
So verse 1, I think, sets the tone for this passage and for the rest of the Gospel of John, in fact, when it says, now, the feast, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his, one, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. So on the last day before Jesus dies, as, pub, as his public ministry closes, John looks back and describes his ministry as him having loved his own to the end. He has been showing a kind of peculiar, saving, teaching love to his own. And John looks forward to say that Jesus has loved them to the end. End of verse 1, he loved them to the end. He's not denying that Jesus loved the world. John 3.16 tells us that he did. But John is talking about his unique and special love for his people, like a husband's love for his wife. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. Everything we've seen him doing now in chapter 13 is part of this love. And if you belong to Jesus and feel everything he says and does and hear, and as it is said to you and done for you in a very intentional, personal and effective way. So what is he doing in these 20 verses? Well, I think he's modeling to them the kind of person that they should be if they're truly going to represent him. In the last verse, in, in the last verse of this section, verse 20, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. In other words, when I send you out in my name under my authority and with my word, you represent me. You rep- represent me in such a way that if someone welcomes you and your, and your message, they welcome me. And if they welcome me, they welcome my father. Indeed, he becomes their father as he promised. To all who receive me, God has given the right to become children of God. We read that in John 1 verse 12. That's how he planned it. Receive his representatives, receive him, receive his father, become his children. He's wanting his disciples to realize something. He's saying this, like, I am preparing you, my disciples, authorizing you for an unspeakably high calling. If someone receives you, they receive God. There isn't a higher human calling than to represent me in this way. That is where this passage is going, to the climatic, weighty words, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. If they are to be representing Christ, they are to be the kind of person who goes low in humble service, not the kind of person who is puffed up by their amazing rank and great privilege of their calling. So that's the first layer. Jesus is laying out that there is a spectacularly high standing as his representatives. The one who receives you receives God. And Jesus is showing them that the only people who qualify for this high standing are those who go low in humble service. Which, for Jesus, Jesus had a really high standing. Literally all things had been given into his hands. But then in verse 4, he rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He goes low. In serving his disciples, he goes low. And he gives us the explanation in verses 12 to 16. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. He's telling them, I have a high standing. I have a high rank in relation to you. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, if he is a teacher and high standing and high rank has gone low in serving, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
He's telling them to go low to you. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. It's spelled out for us, really, isn't it? Jesus is high. His rank is incredibly high. His standing is high, and therefore, by ordering standards of this world, he is the one that should be served. But instead, he contradicts the ordinary standards of this world and serves. Remember what I said at the beginning, think of someone you know who did something that surprised you, who contradicted you. From his height, he goes low. From his high standing, he goes to lowly serving. And then he says in verse 15, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So since you are not above me, as he says in verse 16, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent me. You see that relationship to verse 20. Therefore, you have no ground to say my action doesn't apply to you. So if Jesus, the highest of the high, has gone so low, then you, the lower, from whatever high standing you think you have, should go low as well. Now remember, he's trying to show them the kind of person who is qualified or suitable for the high calling of verse 20. Whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. He's telling them that he's going away in verse 1. And you are about to become him, and they're about to become his representatives, his ambassadors on the earth to take his words and his, the message of the salvation that he brings and the presence of him on this world, on their behalf, he's there to take it out for him. Because if people receive them, they also receive Christ. And that is the message for us as well. And what I want to make most clear is that your fitness for this role is that you be the kind of people who gladly go low. You step down from the privileges of your high standing and you engage in lowly serving. Or to be more penetrating, let your whole life have this mindset, you are the servants. And in all that you do, do it with a view of getting other, under others to lift them up, not getting over others to look down and feel superior. So yes, you have a high calling. But no, you're not qualified for it if you should hold on to the honours and the prestige of rank. The only people suitable to represent Jesus are the lowly, are the humble, are the servant-like, are the self-denying. So now what about verses 18 and 19? Jesus feels the need to say something about Judas. If he is about to send out the 12, it seems as his representatives, who are learning to be humble and servant-like, not boastful or selfish or greedy, then what about Judas? Will he be sent out when Jesus is gone? So Jesus says in verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. No, Judas doesn't contradict the point. Doesn't contradict the point that those who Jesus sends as his representatives are to be lowly, humble, trustworthy servants. Judas is in the 12, not because Jesus slipped up in choosing them, but because scripture must be fulfilled. There, ha there is to be a traitor at this very table. There is, that, that is the plan. God designed it in eternity. He prophesied it in the Old Testament. And Jesus knew, knew it when he chose Judas and John, when he chose Judas. John 6, 64. John, Jesus knew from the beginning who it was who would betray him. 
But the point of verses 18 and 19 is not just that there had been no slip-up in Judas' presence in the 12. The point is also that his presence and Jesus' knowledge of what he's about to do serves to raise the heights of Jesus' rank and standing to the very point of the deity that he is, which makes his foot washing all the more amazing and powerful. In verse 19, Jesus says, I am telling you this now, that that Judas is going to betray me before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. He's telling them to believe that he is God. His foreknowledge of Judas' sinful act is appointed to his godhood. He is one with Yahweh, the great I am. But the call isn't just to go low in service, but to go low gladly. And the reason I say gladly is because of verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And the word blessed here is the one that means glad, happy, joyful. In other words, Jesus is saying something like, if you realize what I am saying, if you understand who I am and how high I am and what a privilege it is to call me, to be called up high to represent me and led down low to serve with me, you will be glad. You will find the deepest joys in life are not when people are hailing you in your status, but when they are helped by you in your service. In fact, I've wondered if this verse might be the place that Paul is quoting in Acts 20, 35, when he says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's the same word for blessed, happy, joyful, gratifying. And both say, going down low, serving others, and giving yourselves to them for their good is the most deeply joyful and satisfying life. Now, the last thing we want to do is ask is, is there another level of meaning in this acted out lesson in humility and servanthood? Keep in mind that until now, the general point has been, if you have any high high standing as a Christian, and we all do, you're only fit for it if you go down low in service. That's if you are humble and see all your life as an effort to get up under others and lift them up rather than get over them to show them your power and get their praise. Foot washing is, a simple, is simply an illustration of the big principle of humble servants to others. And if you're following closely, you probably noticed that I have not said anything about verses 6 to 11, the part of the story where Peter objects to getting his feet washed. And I think this is where another level comes in. So what does Jesus do with that objection? He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, "The the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Peter said in verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus could have kept things simple by saying, Peter, if I don't wash my feet, my acted out lesson is not going to work. So be quiet and cooperate. I'm sure Jesus wanted to say that a few times to some of the disciples. But that's not what he said. Instead, he blows us away at the end of verse 8 with these words. If I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. 
if, if he doesn't, in other words, if I don't wash your feet, you're in the same class with Judas. You're not mine. It's mind-boggling that Jesus would raise the stakes so high over a mere foot washing. Well, of course he's not. The foot washing stands for something else. This is the new level of meaning. Why would Peter not even belong to Jesus if Jesus doesn't wash his feet? Well, Peter says in verse 9, as we can imagine, he certainly would. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. To Jesus responds in verse 10, the one who bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. So Judas is not clean, but the 11 are clean. They are bathed and they are clean. That is, they are born again. They have believed in Jesus. They have eternal life. They have passed from death to life. They have become children of God. They are his sheep, and no one can pluck, him out, pluck them out of his hand. They will not and cannot be lost. And this includes Peter. Only Judas is included in verse 10. Peter is clean, completely clean. He is saved, justified, to use Paul's language. So what did Jesus mean in verse 8? If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. When a person believes in Jesus, he is completely cleansed. Jesus says in verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. The repeated washing of the feet represents our daily confession of sin and turning to Jesus for ongoing application of what he accomplished at the cross, our cleansing and forgiveness. This is exactly what John taught in 1 John 1 verses 8 to 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, and just and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a picture, a picture of Peter's mistake. What he failed to realize was, even though he was completely clean, there were sins that needed daily confession and forgiveness. Daily spiritual foot washings, the once for all purchase of his forgiveness, needed daily application. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. You really are completely clean, Peter, but the mark of completely clean disciples is that they hate their daily shortcomings and come to Christ for daily foot washing. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive and cleanse. So the second level meaning in this acted out lesson is this. Representatives of Jesus then and today should go low in humility and serve not only because Jesus did, and not only because, verse 17, it is the most deeply joyful way of life, but also because they are completely clean. Representatives of Jesus know their true, unshakable standing with God as completely clean. Verse 10. And they don't claim that they have no sin, but they know how to deal with their ongoing sin. They confess their sin and receive daily cleansing. When Jesus offers to wash their feet, they say, Yes, I know I am clean. I am born again. I am saved. I am justified. I have eternal life. I am a child of God. But I have sinned and, receive, and I receive the foot washing the renewed cleansing of Jesus. So I would close by simply saying to all believers who have the amazing standing as children of God and representatives of Jesus, because Jesus went low and because going low is the path to joy and because you are completely clean, 
Don't exalt yourself, but go low in humble service. Don't live like the prevailing culture around us, where it's more about gaining more and more for yourself, just to have more, more money, more power, more influence. Instead, go low. Pastors should go low, elders go low, heads of households go low, small group leaders, presidents, owners, supervisors of businesses, parents, siblings, age class students, athletes, wherever God has put you in whatever situation, go low. To represent your savior, to know his joy, and because you are completely clean. Why don't I pray now as the band come up? Father God, we give thanks as we open up this passage this morning. Father, as we look at this example of Christ's servant-heartedness, as he goes low and washes his disciples' feet, Christ, this person and God of the highest of standings, who in our world should outrank us all, but instead humbly serves us, he humbly served his disciples by washing their feet, but he humbly serves us by dying on that cross. So Lord, please be with us this week and for the few coming weeks as we think about serving others. Father, I pray that as representatives of Jesus today and for the rest of our lives, that we should go low in humility and serve not only because Jesus did not only because it is the most deeply joyful way of life, but also because we are completely clean because of what Christ did. So Father, I give thanks as we go now into a time of worship. I pray that you will remind us of that throughout this week, of how we can come to you no matter what we've done since we are clean because we believe in you and for what you did, that we are saved by you. So Father, let us be good representatives to you as we go out from this place this week and for the rest of our lives. In your son's precious name, amen.